city of Ephesus, and he was part of, of the church there, and he was commissioned there by Paul to go and continue the work and also to deal with some of the issues that they were facing. And it wasn't an easy assignment. It was a pretty complex situation. Most churches are. Some with different reasons for complexity and so on. But, but Timothy had a very challenging uh, assignment, and, and he was entrusted with this message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is, is affirming that and, and reminding him of that. And so that word entrusted comes through a number of times, which is the, the title of this series, and how, Timothy, you, you have been entrusted with this hope, with this good news, with this proclamation of who Jesus is, even in the difficult situations that you find yourselves in. And so that's just a bit of the context of this series that we're in. And I'd encourage you to turn in, in, in your Bibles to First Timothy, Timothy. And last week, Pastor Harry talked about chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And today we're going to look at the last uh, verses in the remainder of that chapter. As throughout this series, as we just kind of walk through this text, and look at what are the implications or what is the, the context that this was spoken into? What was going on in that day? And then also draw out some of the applications that we can make for us today. So I want to start by, by just reading these verses and encourage you to follow along. They'll also be up on the screen here for you. And I, I first of all want to just do a, a quick kind of overview of these verses. And then we'll, we'll come back and we'll walk through them again. But just to get a sense of the overall flavor. So Paul is continuing in his letter to Timothy. And he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me, because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Jesus Christ. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners. And then then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. And I'll honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. Timothy, my son. Here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. And I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. So as you look at this letter, one of the things that, that I wondered about, even what I shared at the beginning about how these books or these letters are entitled, is, is why is it addressed to Timothy? You know, why isn't this, this was written a few years after the letter to Ephesians was written, and that was a letter written to the church at Ephesus. Timothy is in Ephesus. He's part of that church. It's really about that church. So why, why isn't First and Second Timothy just called like Ephesians 2 and 3? Let me tell you a story. Um, Years ago, and many of you know some of my background, being in athletics, and I was an athletics director working at a college, at Columbia Bible College, and there was one uh, weekend where a team came 
uh, from somewhere in the States, and they were a, a larger school that was new to us, and we were, our men's basketball team was playing on this night. And so they, they came to our gym and to our school and uh, went through the evening, and a number of things happened that evening that, for me, were kind of unsettling. And it was largely because of the men's basketball coach of this visiting team, who I didn't know, never met before, had no idea. We were quite unfamiliar with the school. And he was just rude. Like, he was rude. He was kind of arrogant. He was abrasive. Um, our people that were hosting them were not, they were all upset. And I kind of interacted a little bit, too. And just, I don't know what it was, but there was just a, ch- a challenge with this guy in terms of how to interact with him and so on. So, being an athletics director and having coaches that I also was responsible for, I thought, well, I'm going to do this school's athletics director a favor. And so I thought, I'm going to I'm going to write a letter, you know, and just sort of let him know a little bit about this coach. And so I, I wrote a letter. This was in the 90s, so this is before email, and yeah, there was a stamp and everything involved in this thing. And, and so I sent a letter. Uh, to the athletics director of this college because I didn't I didn't know I didn't even know who the athletics director was I never met him or her uh, had no idea this was also before the time of Google and uh, so you couldn't kind of just look those things up and so I wasn't exactly sure so I just addressed it to the school and put attention athletics director and I I think I was polite I was pointed I mean I I did but I just thought this person needs to know how you're being represented in other places I would want to know that and so I kind of told him about his men's basketball coach and how I wasn't impressed. Well, I, at the end of the letter, I invited a response. I invited the athletics director to phone me and we could talk a little bit more and I could explain whatever. And I never heard anything for a long time. And and nothing came back at all. And then eventually, a while later, I got a publication of some print material from this school. And it talked about their athletics program and about their school. And I was looking through it and I saw the picture of the men's basketball coach that was there. And uh, the one that I had all the trouble with, and, and I looked at and I saw his name there, and then it said his title, but it, it wasn't one, it was two titles. It says, Men's Basketball Coach and Athletics Director. So needless to say, he and I were never great friends over the next number of years. We didn't really interact. Um, I never did hear back from him. Um, but the point being is, in some ways, that would be a parallel to if, Paul had written this letter to the church at Ephesus. Because even in the text that we read, we we do see these two men that are singled out, Hymenaeus and Alexander, and all of the problems that they are causing. And we don't know what kind of leadership role that they had in the church, but they obviously were men of influence. They were men who were wanting to teach. It it says in another text that they, they wanted to teach the law of Moses and to be teachers of the law of Moses, but they didn't have a clue what they were talking about, is what Paul says. And, and so they were influential in the church. And if Paul would have addressed this letter, I think, similar to Ephesians, to the leaders of the church and have it go to the leaders and have them always read it, I don't think it would have gone very far. In fact, I don't think it would have even been read because they were part of the problem. So Paul addresses this letter to Timothy. And Timothy is this, again, this young man who is placed there, stationed there to, to give influence in this church, to clean up some of the mess, this, this church that had, had so much promise and was doing so good and now was in lots of disarray. And so Paul writes this difficult letter to Timothy and wants him to read it to the church, but it sort of affirms Timothy in his calling and in his authority and in his position, and then addresses some things to Timothy that allows others to just kind of listen in. And I know parents do this all the time. It works great with your kids when 
you have to address something with one kid, but it's really for all. And so you just sort of have this conversation with one, and you just let the others kind of listen in, because that would be a really good thing. And so Paul's kind of doing that with, with Timothy here in this church at Ephesus, and letting the others listen in and allowing this to be a difficult conversation that will address some issues in the church. So I want to, first of all, look at this first section of, of verses 12 uh, through 14. And Paul starts off and he says, Okay, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. And Paul so often began his letters with thanksgiving. I find that instructive. I find that actually quite encouraging. And in fact, when you read some of the things that Paul went through and the difficulties that he faced and how he would consistently, out of, I think, just a spiritual discipline, he would always start with thanksgiving. And he would just say, I thank God what he's doing, or I thank God, like, and, it, and for us, I think it speaks to us of, of how we live our lives, but he says, I thank God. And then it goes on, and he, and he talks about some things about himself and how God has made a difference in his life. This first section is really about testimony. It's about Paul's, some of Paul's testimony and, and the idea of, of what God is doing in his life and the difference that God has made in his life. And so he's He's sharing some of his testimony. And he starts by saying a bit about what strengthens him. Because he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength to do his work. And he points again right away to the fact that it's Jesus Christ who gives him strength. And even the way that it's phrased here of, of Christ Jesus, this, this, this word Christ here is this word that means the anointed one. And then coupled together with Jesus, which was his earthly or human name, and Jesus was a very common name in those days. Lots of people were named Jesus. And so Paul is differentiating and saying, Christ Jesus, the anointed one Jesus, our Lord, the one who has risen from the dead, the one who we proclaim and we put our faith in. And, and so he's, he's making a declaration of doctrine here and of faith here, even how he starts this section out. He says, it's looking to Christ that gives me strength. And for me, it, it, it caused me to pause for a minute and even just ask myself the question, where, where do I look for strength? Where do you look for strength? Life is hard. Many of us know that. Some of you know that very intensely. Ministry is hard. For those of you who have been a part of ministry, you know that very much as well. And one of the things that I have been so encouraged by is just working with all the different gifted leaders in this church over the many years and seeing people, not just paid staff, but, but lay volunteers, lay leaders who serve on our council and give leadership, spiritual leadership to us. And just seeing the, the servant hearts that are there and the, the, uh, the way that these people just pour into ministry. It's such a blessing and it's such an encouragement watching the servant leaders. And yet, at the same time, anybody who's led and served in the church in one capacity or been involved in ministry knows that it can be really hard. And last year as a council, actually, we, we even went through, throughout the year, a, a book that helped us look at spiritual leadership, and we talked some about that, and, and it was an intentional uh, exercise to help us understand more fully what spiritual leadership is, both for pastoral staff and for lay leaders in, in council, and even at our retreat, it was we had an interesting session a year ago, just over a year ago, where we, at our retreat, we had two panels, and we had one panel that was a panel of pastors, 
and uh, that panel went first and, and sort of had a Q&A and a conversation with pastors. What's it like to be, to be a pastor? And, and we listened to each other, and we told stories, and we shared the highs and lows of that. And then when that panel was done, then a, a pastor of our lay leaders, a council, went and sat in these chairs, and we did the same thing, and we started asking questions of them and said, you know, what, what's it like to go to work every day and have your, your business or your job or your occupation or these other things that you're involved with, but then you're also leading in the church and squeezing that into the rest of your life too. What's that like? And we talked around the highs and lows of ministry from whatever kind of direction that we came at it from. And, and it was a very encouraging time, but ministry is changing. And we need to look to something in the midst of it. And Paul reminds us that, that he looks to Jesus Christ. He looks to this author and perfecter of his faith. That's where his eyes continually focus when life gets hard for him. Paul also, in his testimony that he's giving here, he, he shows that he keenly knows his sin. He understands the sin in his own life. He says, I was one who mocked and blasphemed the name of God. In other words, defaming the name of God. And, and he was one who w- would ridicule people as you look at his story of his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And you understand that he was a teacher of the law. He knew the law of Moses, the, the Torah, and, and he was very educated in that. And, but he was so zealous for the law that he missed who Jesus was. And he's confessing that here. He's saying, I, I didn't get it. It was done out of ignorance, and I, I didn't understand. I, I had unbelief and ignorance, but I was a blasphemer. In other translations, it calls him a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. He was a violent man. He had people killed for their faith. You read about that in Acts chapter 9. And one of the things that strikes me so much about Paul is that because he knew his sin, and because he understood the depths of his sin, he also understood the vastness of God's love and grace. And that really also strikes me. Because Paul really saw his own depravity. And he really saw his own sin. And when he looked at sinners, he didn't just look down on them with with condemnation and, and judgment. He looked at them with identification and affiliation and said, I, I know that life. I am one of them. And it's only because of the grace of God that I am changed, that I am different. And so he's telling his testimony. And testimony is, is so important in our lives because it's, it's something that nobody can refute. People, if we say other things or declarations, and, and sometimes we talk about the difference between proclamation and testimony, proclaiming what God has done in the world and testimony of what has God done in my life. And you know what? Nobody can dispute your testimony. Nobody can challenge you in your testimony. It's, it's your story. So, so you can't refute someone's story. And so, so here, Paul is, is talking about his testimony. So one of my questions for you is, is what does is, what is the um, testimony do in your life? Does it strengthen you? Does it immobilize you? When you think of your past, when you think of your background and sort of where you have come from, what does your testimony do for you? And I really think that, that the enemy, Satan, would love for us to err on one of two extremes. One extreme is, is that we have this idea that, well, we have no testimony. I don't have a story. You know, my story's not as good as that story or as dramatic as this story or as Paul's story. And, and so Satan would love us to think that we don't have a story. But if you're a follower of Christ and if you have experienced the grace of God, then you have an amazing story to tell. The other extreme is that we might think that our story is so bad and our sin is so bad and our past is so awful that, well, God could never do something like that. 
and, and he might be able to forgive us, but God could never use us for a bigger, bigger purpose. And the enemy would love us to believe that as well, too. And, and Paul blows that out of the water because he says, no, 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 I am the worst of sinners. And it's because of God's grace that I can declare this testimony, and God is using me, and God can use you as well. So you see, both these extremes are just lies of the enemy, that you have no testimony, or that your story is so bad that you can never be used by God. It is not true. We need to tell our stories, declare our testimony of what God has done in our lives in one way or another, and recognize that God can use you. God can use us, that he has just simply called us to faithfulness. And as Paul says in this text, as we've been entrusted with this good news that strength comes from God, but but we are called to live a faithful life and walk in faithfulness. Another text in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul is talking about himself and another person called Apollos. Apollos is actually somebody who was one of the first leaders in this church at Ephesus, ironically. And so in, in Corinthians, he's talking about him and Apollos, and he says this, This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. And now it is required that those who have been given a trust uh, most must prove faithful. And so there is a need to be faithful if you have been entrusted with something of great value. Isn't that true? What is the testimony? Look at verses 15 and 17. We'll look at that middle section. Paul starts, he says this, This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. So he continues to go on to encourage Timothy with his own testimony, but now he also starts to get into the truth of who God is and a proclamation. And he gets to the very essence of the Christian message, the very essence of this good news that they have been entrusted with. And it's this truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so he's saying, you know what? Jesus didn't just come that you could live a better life. Jesus didn't just come that you could be a better person. Jesus came to rescue us. And he came for the sake of salvation. He came to save sinners. This one that the prophets spoke about, he came offering us this salvation and freedom from our sin. So again, Paul is weaving his own story in with this proclamation and talking about how he's the worst of sinners and how he is the prime example. And it's only because of God's grace that he is being used as this prime example in how what God does in our lives changes everything. And if there's hope for all of you, he says, you know what, if God can do this for me, he can do it for you. No matter what you come to God with, God can change you. What also strikes me in, in this verse is that um, Paul is growing in his own maturity. In his own discipleship, as he's becoming more humble. In other letters where he was first writing, it, it seemed like he would come across as almost trying to prove himself, saying, you know what, I am, I am truly a, an apostle. I'm a super apostle. I have every right to proclaim this message. And he's sort of, you know, helping people understand that he does have credibility, and he's arguing for himself. And then later on, he talks more about, well, I'm one of the apostles. And then now here in this text, which is actually written later in his life, he's saying, I am the worst of sinners. And I think that is one of the things that comes with maturity is there's this humility that comes to Paul. And he recognizes more and more that he says, you know what, I am the worst of sinners, but 
don't just sit here in my depravity. I don't just sit here in my sin. No, no, no. I have been freed from this. And it's because of acknowledging God's grace in my life that God has called me and entrusted me with something that I can do things for the Lord and make a difference in this world in season. And then he ends with this doxology in verse 17. He says, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. And he is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. It's like that, that video that we saw that, that has these creedal statements of de- declaring of who Jesus is. And, and Paul's doing that and, and declaring who Christ is. And this truth, this sound doctrine, which was talked about last week, of, of who Jesus is. But he's weaving it together with his story and saying that this doctrine matters because it transforms people. And he's so keenly aware of his divine assignment that God has given him this trust. That he's been transformed from the worst of sinners, and he's went from being the biggest opponent to this gospel message to now the most passionate advocate. And he has overwhelming gratitude because of that. And he's saying that, you know what? The gospel isn't just a bunch of theological ideas of understanding who God is and how to think about God. It's something that transforms lives and it changes us, which is why testimony matters. It's also true that if people don't see that this message is crucial in our lives, they're not so apt to believe in the Son. And so as others looking into our lives, as they, as they see us and they, they see the evidence of this story, this good news in our lives, the testimony living out in our lives, then they also see the evidence of what God does in our lives. And so Paul is reminding Timothy that sound doctrine matters because it changes lives. The gospel is earthy. It comes right down to the ground to how you interact with people, to how you relate to your family, to how you relate in the workplace, to how you relate to your children, to your parents, how you make decisions about finances, how you think about yourself in the world, how you make priorities in life. It it changes everything. It relates to farmers, mechanics, to moms who are stay-at-home, to executives in the business place, to even a cheap blasphemer like Paul. It matters. This sound doctrine matters because it transforms. If we allow it to seep into our pores and start to change every part of our lives. This is discipleship. This is what Paul is doing with Timothy. This is what Paul has been experiencing and continues to experience himself. And he calls us to this journey of discipleship of what we have been entrusted with, that it would transform us. And in the same way that we would proclaim it to others and give testimony of what it's doing in our lives and proclaim the truth of who God is and help people see that it changes us as well. And then he gets really specific in verses 18 to 20. He says, uh, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. And may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. And I find, I want to just stop there for a minute. And I, I want to just park on that prophetic word that he talks about here for, for, for Timothy. Now, you have to understand that the word used earlier in the text, right at the beginning in chapter 12 that we're looking at today, where he talks about serving, it's a word that is used throughout the New Testament. It's a very common word that is implying that we are all called to serve. We all have a, a calling to go and to serve God as we follow after him. But, but he's saying, Timothy here, you, you have been called out in community. And I guess if I want to emphasize anything about this, it's this powerful truth that Timothy has been affirmed and called in community. 
and he's reminding Timothy, he says, remember that prophetic word that was spoken to you? If you flip over a couple of pages, you'll see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul is saying to Timothy this. He says, I remember your, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that the same faith continues strong in you. And so he's saying, you know what, you come from this heritage of faith. You come from this family context of faith. You have been immersed in this faith, and it's now in you as well. You've been part of a faith-filled community, even in your family. And then, if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he also says this, Do not neglect the spiritual gift that you've received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. So the elders of the church have laid their hands on you, and what he's reminding Timothy of, which I think is just so important, He's saying, you have been affirmed in the kingdom. You're in a difficult place right now in Ephesus, and it's going to be hard, and it's probably going to get harder. But you need to remember your calling. You need to remember the gifts that God has given you. You need to remember that people have come around you in community as you have opened yourselves up in a very vulnerable way to this church community, and people have seen your gifts, affirmed your gifts, and called you out and said, you need to go and serve in a very special way. I think those are just such powerful words and and such an important part of discipleship as Paul himself has spoken words of encouragement and blessing and identity to who Timothy is. And the community of believers have done the same thing and laid hands on him and prayed over him. His mother and his grandmother spoke words to him as he was growing up, even as he was nursing with his mother, of a mother who whispers words of hope and promise and blessing to a young child. So Paul is reminding Timothy of these things, that these things have been spoken to you. Because you know what? You're going to need this. When things get hard, you need to be reminded of some of these things. And he says, this will help you fight the Lord's battle. Because it's not going to be easy. And he goes on and he says, you know, cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Arminius and Alexander are two examples, and I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. So again, Paul is saying, this is what you're facing. Here's what is the context. But you need to hold on to your faith, cling on to this faith, and realize that, you know what? Christian ministry isn't just about proclamation, it's about embodiment. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's just really, really challenging. And he uses strong language here about these men that Paul himself has said had handed over to Satan. If you look at 1 Corinthians 5, you see another context where he has similar language. And again, it's for the sake of restoring people into community. It's not that they are expelled and, and, and sent out and just, you, we're, no, no. It is because of, I love you and because sometimes tough love says hard things and discipleship says hard things. And so he's saying, I handed them over to see the depravity of what they're doing in the hopes that they would be restored to Jesus Christ. And so he's speaking hard words and saying, Timothy, sometimes discipleship is going to be really, really challenging. But what's interesting is, is Paul, again, he, he calls these two men, he says they're, they're blasphemers. But what did he call himself just earlier in the verses we read? He said, I was a blasphemer of God. So, so he identifies with them. He says, I was, I was like them in some way. God restored me, and because of God's grace. And so, I don't see Paul giving up on these men, but he sees the importance of addressing what's going on in their lives because he experienced it himself. 
this destroying of the flesh in order to be restored to God and to save a person's soul. We don't know exactly what their blasphemy aspects were. We get a sense that it had something to do with the resurrection as we read further on. Earlier in verse 7, it, it does talk about how they were wanting to be teachers of the law of Moses. They wanted to be seen as that, but Paul says they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. And you wonder if it wasn't that they were people who were holding on with such religious zeal to the Torah and to the, to the law of Moses, just as Paul did. And what, what God had to strip them of in order to see the freedom that was found in Jesus Christ. And how Paul had to be completely reoriented in his understanding of the gospel. Completely reoriented of, of understanding how to think about the Old Testament, about how to think about circumcision and those things, and the law of Moses now, and the new covenant with Jesus Christ. And so Paul has been radically transformed in his thinking, in his life, in his actions, and he's saying, in a similar way, these men too need to be transformed to see God in a whole different way. I want to make just a few applications. And when I look at this text, there, there are just so many applications that can come out. So let me list just a few of them. I want to say, first of all, that even as we go through these, these letters to these, to these people, First and Second Timothy and even Titus, this is not about a ritual. It's not about just, you know, looking in and digging in and seeing where anybody has any biblical errancy at all. And sometimes people in church tend to do that. It becomes a very dangerous thing. These people were, were really blatantly proclaiming that the resurrection did not happen, that they were teaching that Jesus was not the Messiah. It was really very direct and distinct kind of blasphemy that Paul was correcting. And in fact, in verse 5 in chapter 1, Paul says, The purpose of my instruction... In all of these letters, he says, is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. So Paul's desire is that people be reconciled into community. That part of being in community and part of discipleship in community is that we have honest conversations with one another. That we do so in love. That we don't just sort of sweep things under the carpet. That we don't brush over things. But that we also don't attack people just to be mean and vicious but that we care for one another and we do it out of a genuine love for one another and for the kingdom of God and the safety of the gospel. The second application that I would suggest is that ministry and discipleship is hard. And that's, that's something I think we have to remind ourselves of from time to time because we live in a part of the world that it's very easy to get very comfortable. And we focus a lot on our security and our comfort and those kinds of things more than we would like to admit. And so whether it's our finances or whether it's our careers or whether it's our health or whether it's our family or what, whatever it is, is we, we, we tend to sort of hold on to those things pretty tightly and, and we like the security of these things and we like things to come easy to us, don't we? And so when it comes to things of faith, we also kind of like things to come easy to us. We, we, we don't like it when it's hard. And sometimes we even go so far as we think, well, okay, this, you know, I, I felt like I was following God, and because I stepped out in faith in this direction, and it's become really difficult and hard, this must be a wrong decision. Now, Paul, I don't think, ever thought that way, because he was so often, uh, he was following uh, after the heart of God and made decisions and did different things, and he landed in trouble constantly and was shipwrecked and beaten and put in prison and had all kinds of challenges and difficulties. And he never comes with the assumption that discipleship and ministry is easy. Never. In fact, you may even go in the other direction and say, you know what? 
when life is kind of too easy, it may be good to ask the question, are we truly following after God? Are we really stepping out in faith? Are we really wanting to be a true disciple? Or are we just kind of liking things in life? And so even as we enter into 2014, I guess my encouragement to us, to me, to every one of us is, what is it where we have become too comfortable? Where is it that God is challenging us to step out and stretch in our knowledge of God and in our obedience to God? So even as we talked in the weeks ahead about different prayer opportunities, that that may be one area where you're just really not liking to step out in. And maybe God is calling you to grow in this area. It's just a step of obedience and, and of walking in faith, even though it doesn't feel easy or necessarily good. Maybe God is calling us to experience ministry and discipleship in new ways, even if it is hard. Third application I would make is that testimony matters. Your testimony matters. You have a testimony. If you are a follower of Christ, then you have experienced the grace of God and you have a story to tell. That is a story that no one can disprove. In the Lifetime class, just prior to this, as we were talking around these texts, one person shared in the workplace about being able, and even in recent days, of being asked a little bit about his story and being able to share some of his faith and why he went into this profession because of God and God's leading in his life. And even in any kind of workplace, if somebody asks you to tell your story, you can share your testimony. And it's appropriate and good, and nobody can refute it because it's your story. And so testimony matters, and you have one. Fourthly, the shipwrecked faith causes a lot of hardship. And Paul is talking about these two individuals, and there's others there as well too, and it's affecting this church, this church at Ephesus that had been so healthy and strong and good and now is, is kind of wobbling and going through some difficult challenges. And this church is struggling. And so now he's saying, you know what? The shipwrecked faith causes all kinds of hardship. And I think all of us probably know way too many stories of where people's faith has been shipwrecked for one reason or another. And the ripple effect and the the splatter effect that happens because of that. And again, even just recently talking to some of our staff and one person who said, you know, thinking back to all the Bible school students that he was a part of and that out of all those who are so excited about going into full-time ministry and being involved in the church, he said probably at most 10% are still involved in the church. And another staff person who said of, out of his group of 12 friends who he was really close to in Bible school, all started out in ministry, he's the only one left in ministry out of 12. And in fact, most of the others aren't even in church anymore. And so we know way too many stories of shipwrecked faith. And we know the ripple effect and the implications that you have felt the ripple effect of those in your own life. And so many people have. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to stay focused on Jesus Christ. Just don't lose the central aspect of the gospel and don't shipwreck your faith. And then lastly, the last application I'll make as we conclude here is that our prayers matter. Paul is reminding Timothy of what he calls these prophetic words that were spoken over him. And the implications of these words for his life and for his perseverance in life and in ministry. And and my guess is, is that if you think back to words that have been spoken over you or to you, that you can probably remember biting words that were said 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. They still reverberate in your mind, depending on who said it especially. 
and the closer they are of somebody that, that, that you love, those biting words can really hurt and they sting people. But in the same way, you have had words spoken to you with affirmation and encouragement and blessing. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to hear those words. But those words are powerful. And I want you to think about some of those words that people have maybe spoken to you in community in one setting or another, that people have said something of you that, you know what, you're really good at this. You have a gift in this area. And don't minimize those. Hold on to those because those are powerful words spoken in the context of community as people that you love. But I would also want to say to us as a church as we go into 2014 that we would be people who would speak those words to others. I mean, it's one thing to be waiting for those words and, and longing for those words, but also to be people who very intentionally look for people to speak those words of hope and blessing and promise into their lives because you will have no idea the power and the impact that will make on their lives. And if we could just be a church where everybody is looking to do that for other people, where everybody is looking to speak words of encouragement and hope and truth and promise, and, and that, that blessing and those prophetic words spoken in community, and, and sometimes they come in a stronger way where you have a real sense that God is, is wanting you to share something with somebody. And sometimes it's just sort of this word that you just see something in somebody and you just want to affirm it. My encouragement to you is let's be people who do that on a regular basis. These are all parts of discipleship that Paul is walking with Timothy and calls us to as well. Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of these texts. I thank you, Lord, for the difficult words that Paul is not afraid to say and encourage Timothy in the context of community that we need to speak truth to one another out of love. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be a community that would do that. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have experienced the, the fallout of, of shipwrecked boats, God, that you would do a work of healing and restoration of those deep wounds. And God, that you would help us to be a people that are found faithful, that we are found faithful and that we do our part as we look to you and are strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. When things get hard, when life gets hard, when, when, when things are difficult and challenging, that we would continually lift our eyes to you. And God, I pray that we would have a testimony that would have an impact on other people. And Lord, I pray too that we would be people who would speak words of hope and encouragement into the lives of other people. And that you, by your Holy Spirit, would also give us the ability to be reminded of and to hear those words that have been and will be spoken to us. God, help us to know that you are a child of God. And God, I pray this blessing upon this church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.